Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Net Worth Podcast, where today we're going to talk all things NBA playoffs. Joining me, as always, bright and early. He actually got up before me today, folks. Spread, <laughs> how's it going? You've been up for like three hours already. What's it like well, to yeah. see the, the, the sunrise? Uh, actually, yeah, I was up before the sunrise. I had to get my watering in because it's like 110 today, so I didn't want like every living thing in my yard to die. And then, fortunately, WTA Prague was on, so it gave me motivation to just go ahead and get up and start my day. Well, it sounds like you've had a wonderful and productive morning. So since you're hot, let's jump into some bubble talk, and we'll start with you. Um, we're just about done. Well, we finished the eight games yesterday. What did you think of the bubble? What did you think of that little eight-game regular season? Did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? Do you think the NBA could have done anything better? Actually, no. <laughs> they re- they it really went about as perfect as you could have hoped, right? From an NBA fan, zero positive tests within the bubble. So obviously, their um, protocols and are working to keep people in place. I you know I read extensive articles about you know people being green and yellow and how they they didn't even interact um, as far as the people going in and out of the bubble. So um, just beautifully set up by the the NBA. And then, of course, we had our um, end-of-the-season scrimmages, which happens every year. Um, so I wasn't too surprised by that. actually gave us a couple days to reflect and not make any bets and, and get ready for the playoffs because this is where most NBA cappers shine. We don't have to worry about uh, people in and out of the lineup. We don't have to worry about motivation. It's just um, strengths and weaknesses of each team and how they match up. Hey, the bubble was great. Like you said, hats off to the NBA and everybody who organized it and set it up. I thought that the attention to detail was really great. I thought that all the stories you heard about them enforcing rules, um, you know, just made me feel really good about everything. Everybody took this seriously. They did a good job. And like you said, no incidents. Everybody is fine. They've been playing all the stuff that we talked about, about having trying to handicap teams. You know, maybe with sick players and things like that. We've avoided all that. The quality of basketball, I thought, was really high. You've heard a lot of the players talk about how much they enjoy actually playing in the arena, the way it's set up. Um, it's great. I mean, it's, was, it's been awesome to watch Phoenix and Portland. It's a shame that Phoenix doesn't get a chance. But we've got the play-in series. We're going to have Memphis and Portland play maybe two games. The first one's today. Memphis has to beat them twice in a row. What do you think, Spread? Can the Grizzlies beat the Blazers twice in a row after being absolutely putrid for the last two weeks? No, I mean, this is where not having the veteran leadership is really hurting a team like the Grizzlies. They were hot um, going into the shutdown, young team, and then they just came back, and now they're going against, you know, killers like Dame Lillard who just have so much experience and so much veteran leadership and John Morant's great and he's going to be great but this is I think a little too much for him in his rookie season it's just such a tough spot again because they have to beat them twice in a row it becomes really difficult if it was like a two out of three thing that might be interesting but twice in a row is going to be really tough I mean you start to think about the matchup some of the players that uh, Memphis is missing as well it's it's going to be tough I mean Portland's six point favorites I think right now today so I think that says volumes about it that you know they're minus 285. The Grizzlies would have to pull off back-to-back upsets at like plus 250 underdogs. So, sorry, Memphis. I think you're done for the year. All right. Let's jump into the playoff series that we do have. We've got seven of them right now. We'll probably touch on Portland Lakers at the end, even though we don't have a price for it. Uh, but we'll start with Utah-Denver. It's the first number I'm seeing up. Denver minus 210 in the series. Utah plus 175. Uh, what are your initial reactions to that number spread? Uh, lean a little bit Denver, but I don't know if there's actually value there. I definitely like Denver to win this series. I think they match up really well. 
Um, and you had pulled the numbers up, so you can go ahead and give them to the listeners. I won't pretend to take credit for that research there, but Jokic did pretty well against Gobert this year. Um, and they just have so much more depth here on the wing. Of course, Donovan Mitchell could upset the apple cart, um, being the great player that he is. But uh, overall, I like the Nuggets here. And boy, I'm seeing it down to minus 185 at five dimes, and I'm, I'm waiting for an entry point. I might go ahead and make this a play. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, shout out to the folks at landofbasketball.com. They make it very easy to pull up player head-to-heads. Three games this year, Jokic scored no less than 28 in all three. Um, looking at a 28-4-10, and 10, a 30-21-10, and 10, so that's a triple-double, 30-11-7. Denver winning all three games. Now, they were close games. Denver won by 6-2-2, two, and two, but... As you start to look at the matchup again, Utah without Bogdanovich makes a huge difference to them offensively. Denver continues to get healthier. They have the addition, essentially, of Michael Porter Jr. Now, he was on the team all season, of course, but, you know, Spread, what have you seen from him in terms of his play stepping forward, and what have you thought of Denver's use of him in his extensive minutes these last week or so? Yeah, so some people have um, been really upset about the fact that Malone didn't play Porter Jr. earlier in the season, but I think this is another case where Malone's not getting the credit he deserves. Uh, by all accounts that I've read, Porter Jr. came in very selfish um, and not really, you know, basically very high on himself and not really ready to put in the work that it takes to become an NBA player. And I think that Malone made sure that he gave effort on the defensive end before he earned his minutes. And I think making him earn his minutes has made him a better player. And I think if he went to another team, like maybe the one in Sacramento, and they just told him he was the greatest thing and gave him uh, 30 to 35 minutes right off the bat, uh, he might not have developed some of these better habits that he has on the defensive end. And having him not be a liability on the defensive end makes him, you know, an asset in a playoff series, whereas before, even though he could score, him getting lit up on the other end, you might have to consider getting him off the floor. So I think Malone's um, kind of kid glove handling with him has turned out to be a great thing for his career, and I think that he's going to look back and, and be happy that he had to earn these minutes rather than just have them given to him. At the end of the day, Denver has, I think, the more interesting roster, the more talented roster. They have a lot more flexibility in terms of being able to change around what they do. I think Malone and Quinn Snyder are both very good coaches. I think that if Denver takes the first two games and that third game, we'll see Utah try to get creative. I'm not sure what direction they would move into, whether to try to go smaller or try to go bigger against Denver. But at the end of the day, I just... Utah doesn't seem to have enough weapons. They've got Conley. He's been playing better. They've got Mitchell, Ingles, and then it starts to get really thin. Gobert's good, but he's not great offensively. Then you have Royce O'Neal. They're playing Tony Bradley a lot of minutes. Jordan Clarkson's nice off the bench, but you can abuse him on the defensive end. So, you know, you look at Denver. We've got Jamal Murray. He's been playing. He's better. Porter Jr., Millsap, Jokic, Monty Morris. I mean, if Gary Harris comes back, it's just... A much more talented roster. So I think the price makes sense. Now, you said you're seeing minus 185. What number would you want to jump in on the Nuggets? Minus 175. It's getting really close. Do you have any interest in correct series, correct scores? I'm looking at FanDuel here, and I know not everybody has FanDuel, but I'm sure the prices when they open other places will be close to this. I'm seeing Denver 4-1 plus 390, 4-2 plus 350. What do you think either of those numbers? I think this is a harder one to do the correct score on. I think the correct scores will be easier on the ones that we think are going to be blowouts, and I'm sure we'll be getting to those series really soon. Um, but, hey, I mean, th- this is a, the, one of the closest lines on the board for a reason, and I'd say it's because, um, you know, the Jazz do have a chance, right? I mean, they it's not like they don't have a path to victory, right? Gobert shuts down Jokic, and Mitchell shows out. 
Um, Jamal Murray has a poor shooting night, and Porter Jr. gets lost as the third option, which we have seen um, with Murray coming back in. Um, sometimes they've reduced Porter Jr. to a spectator. Uh, the Nuggets are heavily relying on three-point shooting. They don't shoot the ball well a couple games in a row. The Jazz can take control of this series. So I think this is a tough one um, to try and do the correct score on. What, what's your look here if you're going to play the correct score? I think I'm looking at something like Denver 4-1. to one. Plus three ninety. You think they win that easily, huh? Well, just in general, if Denver comes out, wins the first two games, even the first three games, I just don't know how much fight Utah's going to have left. One of the dynamics that we're going to have to talk about and get comfortable with in the bubble is which teams we think are going to try to really fight down 2-0 or 3-1 and try to stay, or who's going to kind of pack up and go home. I get the feeling that Utah. Let's do that is real quick right now. Better. Who do you think would continue to fight, and who do you think packs it in? Let me pull up the standings here. So I've got everybody. I think Brooklyn's done. I think once Brooklyn goes down 2-0 or to the Raptors, especially the way those games are going to go, they're out. Um, okay. The Magic, same thing. See, I think the Magic will fight. I think they'll just not be good enough. Yeah, I just don't. That team has kind of been off and on for the last week. And again, maybe it is knowing they weren't playing for anything. Like that would be like a team that I would like take the spread maybe in game four when it gets up to like my plus 15 or something. Because I don't know if they'll give up. They just might not be good enough. And the Pacers is another team I question. They, they've looked good, but Oladipo's been honest about being cautious with his minutes and his body given how the season's gone for him. So I think those three teams I've kind of have circled. I think that Portland is going to get really tired at the end of their series with Los Angeles. I mean, if the Lakers come out and win the first two games really decisively, I think they'll maybe fight in the third, but that fourth game I don't expect much. Interesting. All right. Any other thoughts on Denver, Utah? No, nope, just keep. I mean, they've been buying. I've been even buying the dogs while we've been talking. So, um, you know, keep buying Utah guys, and, and let me get in on Denver here. Actually, real quick though, let's touch on them. Is there anything or any angles that you're looking at here from a game to game perspective? Um, I know I like the unders here. I think both of these teams play at a little slower pace, and people give them credit for. I think that. Both coaches will be ready for some of the stuff that generates quick baskets. Like, I don't think we're going to see Jokic throwing a whole lot of touchdown passes in this series, if you will. So I've been looking towards the unders here. I've got under in the first game. I grabbed, I think, 220, maybe 220 and a half. It looks like it's down to 219. Um, anything from you, either from a spread perspective, a total, any player props you're looking at here game to game? No, but on your under thing, I'm, I'm very interested. So normally we nail first half unders and first quarter unders when the playoffs start, right? the increased intensity, and the increased pressure. I'm wondering if the bubble atmosphere is going to decrease some of that pressure, right? Some of the idea is you're in your city. Everybody's talking about it. It's the talk of the town. The whole city's gearing up, ready to go. You know, the arena has that sort of atmosphere to it, you know, where it's like, okay, people aren't just uh, rolling in late. Like, the thing's packed for warm-ups, you know. Um Lacking that whole, you know, whole city behind us energy, I'm wondering if the games will just continue to play out like they have been playing out, or, or if we really will get that um, that push in intensity. I'm 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 so curious about how the neutral floor and the neutral setting is going to work. I mean, the other one we're going to see is uh, Denver. Let's say they do go up 2-0 against the Jazz, right? Well, normally we would be pounding the Jazz in that game three, right? They're coming back home potentially could be getting points plus money on the money line, right? I mean, it's a great spot that we've consistently hit. 
is that still going to matter? I mean, just switching the Zoom fans, does that really matter? Having music, does it really matter? So, And I'm not saying I know the answer to these things, but it's just something for us to look at. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these familiar tropes that we've used, like take the home team in game three, take all the first half unders, um, aren't as viable this year. So there's a lot to unpack there. I think you're right about the idea of, so we've lost home court advantage, so you're going to lose a lot of zigzag angles and things like that. I think the intensity will continue to be high. I think for a lot of these teams, at the end of the day, you can kind of replace your city getting excited versus we came here and we've been locked down here for a month. We better not leave here without a goddamn trophy. We better not leave here without doing something. I think the level of intensity will increase, just like it always does. Uh, the games in the the first eight games in the bubble were good, but you could see that the level of competition wasn't quite at that playoff peak, and I, I think it will be, especially for a lot of these teams. So I think we're going to see, and it's interesting for you to say first half and first quarter unders. I actually think of the second half unders in some of these games because that's when teams start to get more judicious with the ball. They start to use more and more of the shot clock to try to create better shots. You start to see less turnovers and things like that. The game kind of starts to grind and grind and grind, and you get more free throws, but that possession to, that possession, to possession grind, I think, outweighs some of those free throws. So that's generally why I look for unders. And I, It's not for every playoff game. and some of these games where there's a chance in a blowout. I'll avoid that, but when it's really close like this, even though you do have some exposure to overtime loss, when you get to that third and that fourth quarter, you have teams at halftime trying to make changes and things like that. It gets to be slow and a little clunky, and I think everybody really tightens up. We'll see. I think in general that this series, like I said, the way that these teams play offensively, they do have a lot of movement in their offense, but they take up plenty of the shot clock already. So as they start to get tighter and tighter, when the points start to matter more, I really like unders in this series in general. Excellent. Yeah, and I could definitely see for this series with the Jazz one to play that half-court set. Um, sometimes with Rudy, they don't get out as quickly as they should. Um, you know, And we have two teams that still go through the post, which is a rarity um, in today's NBA. So I definitely like it for this series. I'm um, just thinking overalls. I don't know if unders are going to be as profitable because I made a lot of money on unders last year, and I'm just worried I'm not going to be able to replicate that. Well, that was a nice little backdoor compliment of yourself. Thank you. <laughs> I liked your question also about the changing in lines. I think we'll talk about that at the end. It's an interesting concept. You know, normally, again, when you have, go from game two to game three, you have the move to a different city, so the line changes there. But there's some thought and some curiousness around, should the line just be the same for every single game for these? But we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. Brooklyn, Toronto's next. Toronto is a heavy, heavy favorite, minus 2,500. Feel free to parlay that with anything you want. Not that you'll get too much value out of it, but, um, I mean, the Brooklyn Nets have been great. They've tried really, really hard, but this is the Toronto Raptors. It's one of the more talented teams in the conference. It's a complete unit with a great coach. It's going to play fantastic defense every time they come out there and just make life rough for this mash unit that the Nets have put together here. Um what do you think of this series? Is is Brooklyn going to be competitive in any way, or should we just be looking at Raptors sweeps? Well, I mean, hey, we thought the Nets were going to be like 0-8 going into this bubble, right? We thought this team had the serious potential to be terrible. They played very well. They got some upset wins. And, um, <clears throat> you know, they've been surprising people so far. Are they going to surprise people and get a series win? No. But I think they can surprise and win a game or two and, and make uh, life a little tougher for the Raptors. Um, than a lot of people expect. 
Um, that being said, I'm just guessing this. I don't have the the gumption to put any money behind it, but um, I don't. I think that they can upset Toronto in a game or two and make things a little more difficult than the Raptors would hope for. All right, let's see what we have in terms of all right. So total series games. That's kind of a tough one because you have to pick the exact. But looking here at some correct scores, you could get. Um, you know, sorry, I have clicked on the wrong thing. Oh, there we go. Raptors Nets. So you could get Toronto 4-1 at plus 190 or Toronto 4-2 at plus 650 if you think that Brooklyn can take two games. Do you like either of those? Do they have an over-under where I can just hit like over four and a half? You know, I don't see that right now. I'm looking I think they'll at, put those up. They will. That's, that's an interesting look. Over four and a half. I imagine that'll be... So it looks like Raptors 4-0 is minus 150. So over four and a half would have to be plus money at, at a little bit, I would think. Yeah, that might be worth it, right? I get four shots at it. Not bad. All right, so you like the Nets. You think the Nets are going to be competitive? I, you know, game to game, I think it's going to be tough to bet Raptors spreads, given that the way they play in their offense, the way it really slows down in the fourth quarter, and frankly, gets tough for them to score points. So I don't know if I'm trying to lay any big numbers here with the Raptors. I see them as nine point favorites in game one. That feels about right. Maybe just a touch of value on Brooklyn. Honestly, do you have an opinion there? Yeah. I don't know if I am going to play it, but you give me hundred dollars. You say I have to play it. I'm taking the plus nine and a half that I'm seeing on five dimes right now. Um, I just think this team keeps it close. I think that we kind of undervalued them. I think that you know we really were not high on the the loss of Kenny Atkinson. I know you and I both, in particular, were impressed with them, but um, Jacques Vaughn stepped in and done well. So. I'd probably take the nine and a half, but I mean, there's so much more opportunity, and I think I really think that I'm going to have a pretty good handle on this playoff, so I'm not going to really force plays like that that I'm just kind of big on, you know? This is another spot where I like unders, given the way that Toronto's team plays defense, not just the starters, but also the second string, and the way that I think Brooklyn wants to run the ball. I think Nick Nurse is going to try to slow this down quite a bit, so I've got under 224 in this first game, and I'm seeing that number still around a few places. I like that. This would be another series where I look to bet unders. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you more on this series um, than than maybe, say, the Jazz Nuggets one we saw because I think there's just way less shooters on the floor than there were in the last series we discussed. And, um, you know, I'm surprised that the number is lower in the Jazz Nuggets. I guess that's just reflecting to the pace. But, um, yeah, I'd like your under look a lot better here. As you look at Brooklyn's roster, at the end of the day, that what drives the bus is how good Tyler Johnson, Karis LeVert, and Joe Harris are playing those days. And Denver just has tons of guys to throw at them. Lowry's a good defender. Um, Fred Van Vliet's a good defender. They've got Anuobi. They could even put Siakam on those guys um, coming off the bench. McCaw's an okay defender. Norm Powell's a good defender. Um, RHJ, Hollis Jefferson, he's um, a good defender. So... Again, it's just, I don't see how Brooklyn's going to get some of the space that they've got in these games, both on the break with Lavert and Johnson running and then in the half court. Lavert's been very good. I think that it's going to be a fun series to watch him. I'm excited to see what he does against a little better competition. But at the end of the day, I think Toronto moves through here pretty smoothly. I don't even really think 4 1 is kind of out of the question. I mean, that, that price at 4 0 at minus 150, I, I don't like that at all, frankly. But I think this is a Raptors sweep. Yeah, I mean, and I, I've been pumping up the nets here, but would I be that surprised if uh, we're looking at Raptor sweep? No. Toronto's probably been the most complete, consistent team in the East in the bubble so far. So, 
Um, that's why I'm not betting against it to continue. But I'm just saying Brooklyn surprised us so far with their performance, and I wouldn't put it past them to maybe throw in one more surprise and squeak a game or two. Now the next series is one that both of us, I think, are going to hold our nose here and make a wager. The Boston Celtics are minus 550 to beat the Philadelphia 76ers so in seven that games. number's way gone for me. I mean, it's even oh, moving it? while we've been talking. Oh, it's down to plus 335 for me on five dimes. Well, it's still plus 375 at Bovada if you like it. Okay. Anyway, so you know, Boston, pretty big favorites here. We know we have no Ben Simmons. Um, Gordon Hayward, I think, is here for this entire series. I know that he was talking about leaving the bubble once his wife um, gets close to having her baby or has her baby. So unless that happens in the next week or so, he should be around for all seven games. But why don't you start here? Because I know that you're a little perplexed and uh, kind of confused at the support Boston is getting. Yeah, I mean, it's just obviously coming from Philadelphia's absolutely terrible play in the bubble. Um, <laughs> they've been a disappointing team. You know, we were on the over. That was quite sad because that was my favorite bet, and I still can't believe it didn't cash, and it's just just terrible overall. But let's look. The Ben Simmons loss at this point really isn't even that much. I think the team plays better as a traditional team with Embiid as a center. Um, you got your three wings, and then you got a point guard. Um, and who's going to stop Embiid on the Celtics, right? I mean, you're going to throw Cantor or Tice on there. I mean, like, give me a break. And then also, the Sixers do have some nice perimeter defenders there with Harris, Tybal, and Richardson there to go ahead and match um, Boston's excellent play on the wings. Now, Boston obviously should be favored. This number seems a little too high. Still a little wary, though, after getting burned on believing in Philadelphia a little bit earlier. And I noticed you omitted them on our teams that gave up, but I think you might have a better idea than me. They go down 2-0 as this thing a wrap. I don't think so. I think that Embiid specifically plays a lot better and a lot more focused. I think that he will come out of that third game and try to just absolutely destroy Boston at that point. I think actually having Simmons out of the picture focuses them a lot more in a way. They know that they've kind of lost one of their better players and that, again, like you said, things become a little more streamlined and they know what to do. As you start to look at it, the matchup here is really fascinating from a player-by-player perspective. Like you said, Boston really only has Daniel Tice, Robert Williams, and Enos Cantor to throw out at Embiid. And Embiid should generally destroy those guys. And now Tice, I think, is an underrated Defender, He generally actually does well against Embiid. But part of the reason is Stevens is a brilliant coach and has a lot of guys come down and help. Um, Embiid is getting better in those double-team situations. But I think, again, what a lot of you'll see is Tice try to push and hold for position early. And as soon as Embiid touches the ball and makes a move, you're going to see Tatum, Brown, Walker, Smart, um, even Ojale if he gets to play this series, you know, stick in their hands and they're going in and trying to double team him and forcing Embiid to make good passes and rotate. Now that is easier with with Simmons out, right? There's another shooter on the floor, so I think the series for the Sixers is really going to come down to Embiid's ability to handle those double teams and Boston's ability to be really aggressive there and, and rotate correctly. You, know, you look at the Sixers lineup here; they're probably going to have Milton, Richardson, Harris, Embiid. And then maybe Mike Scott, he played really well. at Furkan Korkmaz, another guy who can shoot. I think you will see some Horford on the floor as part of the starting lineup, but I think he'll be pulled out um, fairly quickly once Boston starts to go small and take advantage of him on the defensive end. But there's just an extra shooter on there. So if Embiid can get the ball out quickly from those double teams, the Sixers should be really competitive here. Um, you know, again, from a price perspective, there, I see them plus 375. I think there's value in that number. I think the Sixers should probably be closer to plus 300 in this series, maybe even in the plus 200s. It might be better to bet them game to game because you get a little more feel for what they do. 
I mean, at the end of the day, Boston's biggest advantage is Brad Stevens. He is going to, he's out there playing chess. I'm not sure Brett Brown's even playing checkers at this point. Um, plus six in the first game. Seem a little high to, to you. I thought it should be like plus four. It does. I think there's definitely some value in that number. Uh, let's take a look at some of the series splits here. Yeah, I'm seeing plus five and a half, so plus six is even a little better than what I'm seeing at FanDuel. You know, Sixers 4-3, plus 650. Sixers 4-2, plus 900. Those are both kind of interesting numbers. Celtics 4-0, plus 500. Celtics 4-1, plus 300. Celtics 4-2, plus 330. And again, I'm seeing 350 from Fandles. So still some value out there. I think any number, you know, plus 330 or so or better is worth the play at this point. What, have it, what, what do you think? I'm so scared because of how how excited I was for them on the restart and how terrible they were. Um, I'm trying to pull up right now. What was their regular season? Um, they beat Boston to open the year. I believe the Sixers had the lead in the series either 2-1 coming into the bubble. They beat Boston in January. Sixers were three and one against the Celtics this year. And they lost in February. All very close games, though. Sixers won by two, three, and four. Celtics won by one in February. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm I'll probably just grab the points in the first game, and then I can just be done with them if they they fail me there. <laughs> I mean, the other bad part about playing this series price is if MB gets hurt again, right? Right. And the other thing about just guaranteeing them to dominate, it's like the worst part about that sprained ankle is that it's hard to keep your conditioning up. And I already thought his conditioning was kind of lacking going into the bubble. That was one of the things I noticed in the first game is that he looks like he can only give you maybe 24 to 28 solid minutes. And then he starts to look really tired towards the end of the game when you need him. Um, so that could be an issue as well for the Sixers. One of the angles I'm really going to like here is Boston after a loss. Again, Brad Stevens being a really good coach, being flexible and trying to make changes. I'm going to be looking to bet the Celtics after they lose to the Sixers if that does happen. So I think you're right. In game one, you look at the Sixers plus six, maybe even some money line. That might be a good game live. See if the Sixers come out a little slow and you can get a better number there. But um, I'm going to like the Celtics off a loss in this series. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. This is your favorite team, and we're both obviously a little bit emotionally invested. Me, just because of my wounded pride for touting this team so heavily this season and and getting disappointed in you because they're your favorite team so um maybe we'll tread lightly a little bit just because of our emotional investment but on paper right i mean as a fan this is one of the best series to start the whole thing right i mean i can't wait to watch this game it really does have potential to be fantastic it was a good series last year um, or the year before i can't remember if it was both but these games are always a lot of fun when they play the teams like you said there's some interesting matchups on the floor. The Celtics don't necessarily have the bigs to deal with and be the Sixers, although they do have some better guards and wings this year, will generally struggle against Brown and Tatum. And you know, Stevens, I think, is the, uh, the the big decider. So we'll see if he can put it together. But again, I, I make Boston a favor in the series, just not by this much. So keep your eye on the Sixers. That could be a fun value play. Yeah, we should have some fun watching this one for sure. And I'll tell you what, if the Sixers win game one, I mean, throw everything out the window, right? 
I mean, every all our narratives just go right out the window, and everybody's tune has changed. So as bad as the Sixers have played in the bubble, all it takes is one 48-minute stretch, and all of a sudden every bad thing that we said about them is erased. Well, I'm going to try not to overreact that much. Like I said, if the Sixers win game one, I'm going to find a way to be on the Celtics in game two. So That's fair, and I, I will too as well. But I want to see these narratives get thrown out the window, and I want to have some fun with this. All right. Next up, we've got Dallas versus the Clippers. The Clippers fairly big favorites here, minus six hundred. Um, I'm seeing the Mavericks plus four hundred. Just a tough matchup all around for the Mavericks. Now, I do you know if Harrell's going to make it back for this playoff series? I have not heard. Yeah, he should be playing. He should be game playing, one. and Beverly yeah. should be back for game one, I believe, as well. So, you've got the Clippers at just about full strength again. Those two players haven't played, so it might take them a game or two to play in shape, but. You look at Luka Doncic, we're going to learn a lot about him this series. He's going to have Kawhi or Paul George on him just about the entire game. And let's see if he can handle it. What do you think? Any uh, optimism from you on the Mavericks? No, I think this is a terrible matchup. A lot of people like the Mavericks here as a big little upside and a big little darling. But um, we just haven't seen the play from the, the support players for the Mavericks. And uh, Porzingis is awesome as he is on offense. I just don't trust him on defensive end. I know he gets great block shots. Um, but he doesn't get the defensive rebounds, which is a big, is your number one key, you know, their first concern, you know, it should be everything that you're thinking is ending that defensive possession by getting the rebound. And his ability to box, inability to box out smaller players, I think is going to come back to haunt him here. I can see Morris, Harrell, and, you know, some of these other guys really embarrassing him. Um, like the Mavericks were embarrassed earlier uh, in the bubble by his inability to box out against Houston. So um, I don't like the Mavericks at all here. I think this is a terrible matchup, and I think it just is going to show that um, that Luka and this team are one year and one player away. So interested to see what Cuban does to add to this core because obviously it's young, exciting. Luka might be, you know, if you're starting a franchise right now, might be the guy that you select even over Giannis. That's how good he is. But um, – the supporting cast is just going to do them in here. The Clippers are so much uh, better at depth. And, you know, this isn't the same game that Carlisle was coaching as such a master, you know, 10 years ago when he pulled that upset. You know, the game's changed so much in the last 10 years. Um, I don't know if he's the same uh, coaching edge that he might have before. I think I might give it to Doc Rivers at this point. I think the coaching matchup is pretty tight. My biggest concern, honestly, is Dallas's inability to close out games. This would be a great series. Mm-hmm. If Dallas has any lead whatsoever going into the fourth quarter, I'll be looking to line up um, in a big way behind the Clippers unless somebody got injured or something. But Dallas just really struggles to score in the last five, six minutes of games. And this Clippers team can just take their time, go one-on-one Paul George, one-on-one Kawhi Leonard. If Harrell's playing, you want to pick and roll with either one of them. There's just so many options and so much experience and calmness at the end of games for that lineup, whereas Dallas, I think, is looking around a lot trying to figure out, okay, what can we do? Is Luka going to score, or is he going to pass me the ball? What do I do? So I like the Clippers a lot here. I think that there's a big edge on the Clippers. I'm looking at possibly even taking a Clippers sweep at plus 440. What do you think of that? So does da- you think Dallas packs it in? Because I would put them on my team as no, they do not. I think that Luka's got a lot of pride, and Porzingis has some stuff to prove. So I just don't think it matters. I think that the Clippers are going to be focused on getting this done as quickly as possible so they have as much rest as possible. I just... I, yeah, I, I guess, guess you're right. Luka, Luka as far as winning games, I guess my angle for those are going to be if, if I don't think the team's going to give up. After they lose two or three games, this line's going to continue to get inflated, you know, and I might be able to get double digits in that game four. 
So I guess that maybe that's more of what I'm thinking here. Yeah, I like that angle. I think that that's a lot more sustainable. I just I really struggle to see how Dallas puts together a win. I mean, again, Luca could go supernova here and just yeah. I mean, that, I mean, away, that's, but... that's their path to victory, right? Porzingis shoots above fifty percent from behind three with over nine attempts, and, and Luca drops a triple double. That's their path to victory. Oh, it's just so hard for me to envision. Again, you're gonna have Beverly. One game George, I can envision Kawhi it. You're right. They're not gonna be able to do it consistently. Even one game. Just it's going to be such a tough matchup for Dallas. So I'm looking yeah. at some Clippers stuff. If uh, we get an over under five five and a half games on this series, I'll definitely be under that. And I think I'll be looking at a Clippers sweep. We'll wait till those pop out a few more places. But again, I'm seeing plus four forty at Fanduel, so I don't mind that. Now game to game, you talked about uh, Dallas and their ability to make adjustments. So you, if you think the Clippers come out and win the first two games fairly comfortably, you're going to be looking at a buyback on Dallas in the third. Yeah, I mean, and this is going to be fun for us to see. How much is the line going to change? Yeah, we mentioned that. It's so hard. It's so I guess we can get into that right now. In general, you know, like you laid out earlier, let's kind of maybe go back to the beginning and just dive into this conversation in general. Every year when we have the NBA playoffs, one of the things that you see, it's tough. It's tough to handicap a playoff series. There's not that much that changes from game to game. So if you have a model, there's no real big changes you're going to make. Um, mm-hmm. Unless there's a player injury or something like that, but normally you have the travel angle. You have somebody going from LA to Utah, or, or I'm sorry, Denver to Utah, for example, and going back and forth like that, um, and the home court advantage. So a lot of times you'll see the line change for home court advantage as you go back and forth to each arena. Now, hypothetically, we know we have a neutral court here, no fans. We know that, again, from a modeling perspective, the data isn't really going to change in a big way over a couple games. Should the line be exactly the same for every game in a series? So what are your initial thoughts and feelings about that? I think these bookmakers are going to be really hesitant to move the line, and there might be... I mean, I really don't know, though, but I mean... Okay, so Clippers are minus six right now. Let's say they win their first game by 13. I mean, do they just hang another minus six? Because that's kind of what they do between game one and game two in a normal playoff series. I'm thinking that you'll see maybe half to one point moves based on stuff like that. So like you said, if the Clippers here closes at six, they win by 13, 14, 15. I think books maybe open six and a half or seven, knowing that they'll get some buy on the Clippers from everybody that won that bet in the first game, right? Um, I think you'll see stuff would like you, that. Would you take the Clippers again? I still would. Again, I, in this specific scenario, I like the Clippers a lot in this series. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I'll be a big Clippers spread guy. I, I, I get the feeling that they're more focused on winning than winning by a lot. So, uh-huh. but again, if they, you know, if it's six and they win by fifteen, and I watch the game and it's just like, okay, the Clippers are humming. PG and, and Kawhi have figured out, you know, kind of the dueling banjos thing here. The defense looks good. Harold's rolling. Porzingis just has no clue what to do near the basket. You know. This is, this is going to be great. I might look to grab the Clippers there. But I think you're right. When you start to talk about some of the line movement, I wonder if game three, you know, again, you also have the change in home court. For some of these better coaches, I wonder if, you know, you hear them talk about kind of a wholesale lineup change or they announce their starters for the next game and it's just kind of like a wildly different lineup if you see some moves from stuff like that. I know that that's an angle some of the smarter handicappers like to use. You know, a good coach after losing two games is more likely to go out and make a change and try to do something innovative versus the coach that's just won two games in a row is not likely to change anything. So you have little, right. little tweaks here and there like that. But I think what you described is most likely what's going to happen. If 
you know, the example I think we were talking about in our, our chat yesterday was Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee, I don't know what the line is right now, but let's say they're minus 10. Right? It's 11. That's 11. Okay, so they're minus 11. They win the first game by 20. They're minus 12. They win the first game by 20. I think that just continues to bleed out to like 12 or 13 because there's just going to be tons and tons of support on Milwaukee. And I know guys like us will be looking long and hard at Orlando, but I think from a bookmaker perspective, this is going to be really interesting. So pay attention to that, folks, in the first round. Try to get a feel for... Um, it's one of the things I'm going to be doing is tracking lines game to game and try to figure out some of those moves so we can get a little ahead of anticipating what they do. But it's a really interesting dynamic this year because you can. You can make a really reasonable case for if a team comes out and plays seven really close games, the line should probably be exactly the same for all seven. Yeah, and it, you, tracking openers is going to be more fascinating than ever because the cat and mouse between us and the bookmakers, you know, is going to be at an all-time high here um, with basically – you know, normally they can just rely on their historical data and just use the time and the juice to even things out so they make a profit. But, um, you know, we do have a big chance to gain an advantage here kind of going into these uncharted waters. Absolutely. All right, let's jump back into the series. We've got a couple left. Indiana, Miami is next. This is one where we, you disagreed with me a little bit when we were going through the pre-show prep. I see Miami minus 310. I actually bet them a little better number than that. I think that this number makes about... Makes sense to me. So Miami minus 310, Indiana plus 255. Um, were you thinking about maybe an Indiana look based on those numbers? I mean, doesn't this almost feel like the price is wrong, like the Philly series? I just feel like here the underdog, once again, on teams that are pretty close in talent, you know, it just seems like the price is so high. Now, that being said, I do believe Miami's going to win. I don't know if I want to outlay a wager. I'm just surprised that this isn't closer to, say, the Nuggets-Jazz series. So I guess, you know, the T.J. Warren injury, um, obviously no Sabonis, although T.J. Warren at four is better than Sabonis at the four, it seems like. Um, Oladipo, I don't know if he'll ever be the player that he was before that injury. You know, I'd like to see it, but he definitely is not that player now. Um I think Brogdon's lost a little bit on the defensive end. I mean, I can sit here and run down all the reasons, but it still seems like it's so high. Um, but you think that number's right, and my guess is you, this is a Spolstra thing. What do you think? It's even more than that. I just Miami has the two best players in this series, right? I mean, who on Indiana is better than Bam Adebayo or Jimmy Butler? Okay, I'll give you that. Fair. So you start with that, and then, you know, Spo, I, I like Nate McMillan. He's a nice coach. He does a good job. I think he will get creative and try to do something different if they lose the first two games. Uh, I might look in, I might be looking to bet Indiana in that third game if Miami wins the first two. But you start with that talent difference. You start with that Spo is, I, in my opinion, one of the better coaches in the league, uh, not just better than Nate McMillan. And you start to look at some of the matchups. If Oladipo was healthy, if we knew that he was playing at a thousand million percent, and we know we had MJ Warren instead of TJ Warren, then you got a series. Sabonis is out. It looks like I don't know if he's expected to come back anytime soon, but I'm assuming he's no. Not. I don't think he'll be back at all. Exactly. So you start to look at that. So Indiana doesn't get to take advantage of their big discrepancy. You know, basically the way they've played all year. Or so they now in the playoffs have to put together a new way of playing with most of their guards, knowing that Turner is just going to get demolished by Adebayo. I don't understand what Turner can do at all to slow down Adebayo. Um, you know, instead of Sabonis now again, like you've got Warren and one of the holidays starting for you. You start to look at Miami. That's Miami loves that. They have plenty of guys like that. Um, you know, they can put Nunn on the floor. They can put Hero on the floor. They can put Iguodala on the floor. Crowder on the floor. Derek Jones Jr. is you know athletic enough and, and to guard some of those guys. It's just it's a tough matchup for Indiana. I don't understand 
how they consistently score points against this Miami team and slow this Miami team down. Okay, and when you say it that way, I guess it does seem a little little uh, more fair. And like I said, just because the number's wrong doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to bet it. Um, I know that that's supposed to be our, our mantra as betters, but I also think that discretion is a better part of valor here and that just going um, willy-nilly and betting every underdog where you think that the line is a little bit of wrong um, can get you in trouble. I'd also like to see that underdog have a clear path of victory that you can um, – Describe. So I guess if I were to look at that, I would just say that basically Miami dries up for three from three. You know, that's how Indiana wins, that they're able to harass them on the perimeter and, and keep their three-point shooting, you know, like under 35%. Um, and that seems like a tall task to ask for four games. Yeah, what you were just talking about in terms of the underdog price reminded me to kind of remind everybody, you have to think differently about these series prices. This isn't the same as looking at like a plus 250 dog in one game. This is plus mm-hmm. 250 over a seven-game series. Because right. the NBA puts you in that situation, there's generally more certainty in the favorite because there is that larger sample size. So don't get excited about a plus 300, a plus 350 as you would in a single game. It's just not the same scenario. You know, in one game, that's a much smaller sample size. You have more variance, more opportunity for the underdog to outperform and the favorite to underperform. Over a seven-game series, that stuff tends to normalize. So um, that's one of the reasons I generally try to stay away from some of the underdogs here. But just make sure as you're looking at these prices, you try to get your brain, uh, your mindset correctly, if you will, on that. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you have to say there. Perfectly put. Last series, we've got a price for the Rockets against the Thunder. Now, this series has taken a lot of money so far. I'm looking at Bovada right now. Oklahoma City is plus 140. Houston is minus 160. That opened, I believe, Oklahoma City plus 190. I got a little bit of that 190, Mm -hmm. so that means Houston must have been minus 220, minus 230. Does that move make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, it does, right? Uh, Oklahoma City's 2-1 and one against them this year. They match up well. We're going to have the Chris Paul, James Harden um, deal. And if you think who's uh, more equipped to deal with uh, James Harden, right, it's going to be the Chris Paul SGA stack where you get the younger athletic guy um, that can make you work and then the veteran Wiley guy that isn't going to like uh, get baited into those fouls and maybe could draw some fouls of his own on the other end. Um so, you know, yeah, their path to victory there, you know, we just try to outline it with Indiana, right? It's going to be to get hardened in foul trouble or just to harass him so much that he's tired by the end of the game and that you're getting better shots at the end of the game. Um, that being said, if this money, if the Thunder are right now the popular dog, right? Um, you know, I saw, you know, Ski Profit put out a tweet, you know, which underdog do you like the most? And I would say, like, more than 60% of the replies said the Thunder. Um, and if this trend continues, there's going to be value on Houston. I mean, James Harden is still, you know, by far going to be the best player here. Um, the scheme is better. I do think that some of their uh, role players are underrated. And if you look at their efficiency, they're actually more efficient um, with Harden on, Westbrook off, um, than they were with both of them on the floor. So I don't know if the Westbrook loss, I think that's a regular season loss where it hurts the depth. In a seven-game series, and if Westbrook's out, and that means I'm getting more usage to Harden, I would like that as a Rockets backer. I think Harden's way more efficient, um, and I just trust him to get shots in the half court at the end at the end of the game, late game situations. You know, whereas um, Russ can be kind of hit or miss 
um, with his late game shooting and basically even the opportunities that he takes. So I trust Harden more to get me a high percentage shot and I trust him more to, to take it. Um, I hope everybody keeps betting the Thunder here so I can jump in on Houston. I think the price that's up right now is pretty close to accurate. I think I would have it probably minus 150 Houston, plus 150 Oklahoma City. I think the depth is going to matter as this series gets longer and longer. I think that if Houston can get out of the series in five, even six games, that's going to be really big for them. As it goes on, I think that you're going to see Harden take more hits. He's going to get slower and slower and just... You know, we know he's in better shape. But we see it every year in the playoffs. As those series get longer and longer and he is taking more blows, it's going to be tougher for him. And he doesn't have Westbrook to give him a break here. You start to look at Oklahoma City. I mean, from a defensive perspective, it's, it is going to be tough. I mean, you've got the true dichotomy of an Oklahoma City roster with true big men versus what Houston's doing from a small ball perspective. I wonder who is going to guard hard, and I wonder if they'll let Chris Paul do that or try to save him a little bit. I don't get the feeling that they're going to put SGA on him. They'll probably start Roberson, I guess, and just have Roberson try to slow him down. But, you know, from an Oklahoma City perspective, are they going to, and maybe this is a question for you, Spread, if you're the coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder, if you're Billy Donovan, what angle are you going to take here? Because what you have is the opportunity to throw a bunch of guys at Harden and make everybody else beat you, or are you going to try to let Harden beat you and really cover up everybody else? I'm going to throw a bunch of guys at Harden and make everyone else beat me, right? I mean, I'll, if Harden beats me, it's one thing. But, I mean, if Austin Rivers or Eric Gordon beats me, you know, I think that would be much better, uh, more sound uh, as a coach, right? I'd rather, you know, take it out of Harden's hands. And the funny thing that you mentioned depth, I think the Thunder have terrible depth. <laughs> I mean, I think that they have this great starting five, and then when they go to the bench, it's kind of thin here. So... Uh, I think that could be another advantage here for the Rockets. I don't think that um, they're going to be able to take advantage of the minutes with Harden off the floor, um, as well as some of the other teams that Houston might face down the line, assuming they advance. So, um, you know, we know obviously one of the advantages of the playoffs is you get to shorten your rotation, and that was always a big plus for Oklahoma City. But um, this might be a case where they might not be able to take those advantage of those minutes with Harden off the floor, and, you know, it becomes a wash here with uh, Houston's lack of depth. Brooklyn City offensively, if they are going to take advantage of those minutes, I think Gilders Alexander is going to have to have a huge series. I think that he is going to be the one that's, that stays on the floor when Harden goes out and is going to have an opportunity to score a bunch of points. It's going to be a really interesting dichotomy of styles here. I think Houston's going to want to run. They're going to want to get up and down the floor as fast as they can, um, get Adams huffing and puffing, you know, get Nerlens fouling a lot and try to just really work this team. But if Oklahoma City can slow this game down, you know, really try to grind it out a little bit, uh, you know, defensively, double Harden, offensively, make sure that they're always somehow getting Harden's guy with a nice hard screen on him, you know, get Adams to try to put his his elbows and his chest into Harden as many times as he can, basically, just kind of beat him up. There is an avenue for Oklahoma City to win this. But if Houston can keep the game fast, if they can continue to roll through and keep Harden from getting in foul trouble and making sure that he's getting the rest he needs throughout the game, I think Houston is the, the rightful favorite. Yeah, I mean, how could you not favor a team with um, ex-76er great Robert Covington? Gotta love it, baby. <laughs> no, but I really think that he's going to be a huge X-factor, too. He is. Um, with his ability to just jump in the lanes and, and providing kind of that def veteran defensive counterpart um, to Chris Ball that helps the other players get in the right spaces and just kind of mucks things up. Um, I think you can take advantage of him in the post. I think that we've differed on his ability as a post defender. I like him everywhere else. 
I mean, obviously he's slowed down a tad bit on the perimeter, but I think uh, it really takes an elite athlete um, to be able to take advantage of that. Um, in the post, I, I don't want him matched with Adams. I want to get P.J. Tucker in there, or I want to double uh, instantly. I don't want them to be alone. I think that could be one weakness here. But, um, boy, I, I really like what Houston's doing here, and um, I just hope this money keeps coming in on the Thunder. I mean, if I can get Houston at less than minus 150, that's going to be so awesome. Houston's challenges are going to be having Covington and Tucker guarding Adams. We don't think of Adams as a great offensive center, but he's a nice role guy in the pick and roll spot, and he does well close to the basket. He doesn't, you know, post up from ten and feet on the away and, and try to shoot. Right, exactly. He's not posting up from fifteen feet away shooting jumpers. He's getting five feet from the basket, turning around and laying it in, or like you said, hammering the glass on offensive rebounding. So, yeah, Covington, I think, is a little better than maybe you think in the post and as a rebounder. But if they can do that, if they can keep Adams off the glass, which I think Tucker can do, I think Covington will have a little success against that. It's it's going to be really tough when Jeff Green gets on the floor, or Damari Carroll or somebody like that, and they're having to box out Adams. So, you know, look. The great thing about having Jeff Green on the floor, though, is that even though he'll give up the two on the one end, he'll just go sit in the corner. And then most of these centers, they just don't have the instinct to stay there. So they're going to roll. As soon as some guy gets in the paint, and then Jeff Green's wide open, and that really makes it tough um, for the opposing center, the opposing coach to keep up. So I actually like Jeff Green as an option here um, to maybe slow Adams down a little bit just because we can get into a trading three-for-two situation. All right, last series. We don't have a line for this. We assume it's going to be the Lakers versus Portland. We know that Charles Barkley thinks Portland's going to win the championship. Skip Bayless thinks that LeBron Wait, James what? is having nightmares. I don't ever listen to those guys. Did he really say that? He thinks that Portland can win the championship, for sure. <laughs> he said that before they started the bubble. And too. now you know why I don't listen to these guys. Unbelievable. They're funny. I like them. Skip Bayless. Anyway, I don't get it. What is Portland going to do? So let's start with LeBron James. Spread, yeah. who on the Portland Trailblazers is going to stop LeBron James from doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants? I mean, right? What are you, you going to put on him? Gary Trent Jr.? I mean, it's just terrible. It's just such a terrible matchup. Uh, you start to look at it. I mean, Carmelo Anthony's going to guard him. Carmelo Anthony's going to guard LeBron James in 2020 in a playoff series. Uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to put Nasir Little out there for six fouls? Like you said, Gary Trent Jr.? I mean, maybe maybe Collins? Maybe Zach Collins tries to do it? I, not that you know, LeBron's a little slower in his old age, but I still think he would just take no, Collins he would to work. cook him. Right? That's what I mean. And then who guards Anthony Davis? I mean, Nurkic is big. I think, I think, they're, a little, a little I think they're a little better there. Well, you have Whiteside. You can send him out there to foul him six times. And I don't think that he has the same quickness as LeBron, so I think you can throw Collins on him. And, I mean, AD's going to cook no matter what, but um, it's not just going to be, like, the complete, you know, demolition. I think it's the LeBron matchup that kills them. Right. And from a Portland perspective, they've got Lillard and McCollum, and the Lakers are going to have trouble there. They do have Danny Green. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a better defender than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Those two guys will do their best to try to slow him down. But over a series, that's going to get to be really tough. You start to look at the bench. I mean, the X factor for the Lakers is going to be Kuzma. He gets to come on the floor and play against, you know, not really any scary competition, frankly. So... Just a lot of power here for the Lakers. I, I don't understand how Portland keeps it together, especially with, I would imagine, all the fatigue and, and both physically and mental from that run through the bubble there for the eight games. So, I mean, what do you think, Lakers 4-1? No, I think it's closer because I think that Lillard is just that X factor, and he's not going to be afraid. 
he's not going to be scared at all. So um, he gets hot, and you know you let LeBron drop forty, and then you cover the three point line and don't give him any help. Um, Blazers Blazers can steal a couple games. Um, not to mention they're going to be hot. They have a good chance of getting an upset in game one, uh, as the Lakers haven't really got together. It's almost. Um, you know they're going to be that hot team coming in, and they're going to be in playoff mode already. Uh, take Lakers a little bit to kick in here, and you know LeBron's got championship experience, but who else on this team really does, right? I mean, Danny Green got some last year, um, but let's be honest, he's been terrible this year. Um, anyone else have any experience at all on that team? No, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. You look through this entire... I guess, did Whiteside make it in the playoffs? I'm trying to think. Was he on one of those Heat teams that was in the playoffs or not? Maybe, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Playoff experience. I'm talking about... I mean, they... Yeah. It's just a whole different deal here um, for the Lakers, so... Yeah. um, Obviously, we like the Lakers to win here, but I I think it will be a tough series because, like I said, they're just the... They're going to be playing the hot team that's coming in basically, you know, at their best, right? I mean... We can talk about their deficiencies all you want, but we're getting peak Portland, like pretty much the best that this roster can provide. And we haven't seen the best that this Lakers roster can provide since March. I mean, they haven't been impressive in the bubble at all, except for their um, game one win over the Clippers. And since then, they've played a bunch of scrimmages. They've looked lazy on the court and, you know, probably developed some bad habits that I'm sure they'll get out of their system real quick especially after a game one loss if that's how it turns out but um yeah Portland's got a chance to win a couple games here and really make this an interesting series but at the end of the day that LeBron matchup is going to be too much and if it gets down to game six or game seven um that's where really having LeBron James is just going to show out well we're going to disagree on that I'm going to be looking for an under five on this this series wow okay cool well that'll be fun then so we'll talk about that a little more as we go back and forth um, but that's it, Spread. There's no more playoff series left to talk so, about. Are you ready? Real quick, though, on that Lakers game, what do you think it opens at, assuming that Portland wins today? That means they would get Sunday and Monday off, right? So I don't think fatigue's that huge in that case, right? What do you open that game at? Minus seven for the Lakers, or do you think the Portland gets more respect? I think they're going to be a real trendy dog like the Thunder. I think seven's a good number. I wonder if you see... I'll be interested to see if it's closer to six, then you'll know they're expecting a lot of Portland money. If it's closer to eight, then you'll see they're not worried about the Portland money. Um, yeah, I think at seven, Portland hammers them. I, th- I think the public hammers Portland. If Portland comes out today, I think beats, they're going to be a popular dog. If Portland comes out today, leads most of the game, and beats the Grizzlies by double digits, then they get the day off. I think the next day, I don't think they're starting right on Sunday. I'll have to look into that. But you're right, you'll see some public support. I think we'll get a chance at Lakers minus six, which uh, I will be. I'll be happy to take. I think. Really interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be really curious. I think the Lakers are gonna have problems in in that first game, just because. If I mean, if you watch their games, I mean, they've looked like straight out like summer league scrimmages. I mean, there's been no intensity at all from anybody. I mean, it's so. Um, I know LeBron knows how to flip the switch, but do the rest of the guys? We'll see. I, I think there is an, enough experience there, and you have enough leadership. I mean, you've got Danny Green, you've got LeBron. And it's just, it's LeBron. At the end of the day, those guys are going to line up and, and do what he asked them to do. So I'm not too worried about them. Yep, and then we'll get the uh, the Dwight Howard-Hassan-Whiteside matchup we've always been waiting for. That's right, baby. 
<laughs> Hopefully we can somehow get Dwight JaVale and Whiteside on the floor at the same time. I don't think that would happen, but fingers crossed, folks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but anything else we want to cover before we wrap it? No, I think this is real good, and I think we'll be able to check in maybe after a game or two and then uh, see where we were right, see where we were wrong, and make some adjustments on how to handicap this moving forward. Yeah, looking through real quick, I know we didn't give out too much in the way of official plays. We like the Sixers at plus 350 or better for just a little bit in that series. Um, let's see, Raptors-Nets, I think we both liked under five games in that series when that pops. Mavericks-Clippers, I, was, I liked under five games there if that pops. Did you like that? No. Okay. I don't like under five on, on, on the Raptors either. Oh, really? I think the Nets can get one. Well, you're whiny. Maybe under five and a half done. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, the only thing we, we both agree on is the Sixers plus 350. You can follow us both on Twitter. I'm sure we'll tweet out our stuff. I know, Spread, you're doing all your stuff through Run Pure. I'll be sure to put anything out on my account. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Oh, wait. You know what? I have one more thing that oh. I want to talk all about. Right. I forgot. What did you forget? How awesome is it for us Sacramento fans that Vladi is finally gone? <laughs> there we go. There it is, folks. So, Congratulations. All I need to hear now. That's why I'm such a good have hired man. Sam Hankey, and, my, and I'll be a very happy man. If the Kings hire Sam Hankey, I'm a Kings fan. All right. Sixers so fan first. Enjoy. Hopefully you'll join But I'm movie. getting some jerseys. <laughs> I'm in. I'll get a De'Aaron Fox jersey and whatever strange person Hinky drafts first. I'm excited. Although if we draft Hinky, right, Fox is out the door in like two hours. Ugh, it's going to be rough. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, if you can, give us a rating or review on whatever you're using to listen to us. That helps quite a bit. Uh, follow us at NetworthPod on Twitter to make sure you catch up with all of our content. And I'm sure we'll be back at some point during the week. If not, have a great week. Good luck in all your wagers.